have been here already and uh, just trust that our time, the remainder of the morning, will bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Of all the seasons throughout the year, this probably brings more excitement to me than any other because of the significance of, of this uh, of what it means and uh, what it has done in my own personal life and the eternal significance that it has had upon my life. We've had a, a numerous, uh, numerous uh, deviations from our regular service, as you, as you well reno- uh, know, this uh, particular this month. And uh, so it's been nearly six weeks since I uh, last uh, preached the message. And uh, hopefully you'll recall in that message that we focused on the 11th statement of faith for you who are visiting I, we've been going through our statement of faith and certainly it's not what the uh, what the, uh, the the statements themselves that are biblical but it is a combination of it's a structure of principles that we get from scripture and just sort of going through that and trying to understand why we believe what we do and expanding on that so last time we looked at the one on the, uh, the human relations, and you'll see it on the back of your bulletins. not going to spend a lot of time on that. But uh, as we looked at the human relationships in our lives, uh, I, I, you know, there's just so much in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 that we could, that we could talk about and uh, possibly more that should be included in this statement. I don't know, but... Um, it's, it's, it would be hard to, to keep it concise enough because of everything that is in that passage of Scripture. But we can have all the theology nailed down, all the, the, the various statements of faith that we have looked at already, salvation, creation, the Word of God, the work of the Holy Spirit, sanctification, etc., etc. We can have all of that nailed down. And yet it is on the level of human relationships where the nuts, of, nuts and bolts of Christianity really are played out. And, uh, and, 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 and the question I had to ask myself, the question I'm going to ask you this morning is, how are we doing with those? I I'm, I'm, was in a conversation with... Uh, a couple from our congregation this past week uh, in relation to a situation they were facing. And in the course of our discussion, uh, we talked about our shaping values and how that we either shape our values from a human logic standpoint or by Christ-centered principles. That's sort of the only two options that we have, alternatives that we have. And what we read in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 does not make logical sense. Even our bodies, the way that that we're created, and we're going to read or or study the passage this morning, but if I were to come up and slap Courtney across the face, his body is created in such a way that he would instantaneously bring his elbow, elbow up to defend himself. That's the way we're created. Our bodies are created that way. It is not natural for us to take a blow from someone and then turn right around and take a second one from him. 
Human logic says, you do that to me one, once, shame on you. You do that to me twice, shame on me. That's human logic. But is that the way of Jesus? I'm going to have to confess to you this morning that, in fact, I think it was Nate that asked me this morning, how was your week? And I said, you know, I had a tough week. And, I, you know, I, I, I had a myriad of, of relational issues, of problem-solving, I'm going to call them opportunities, I guess, problematic situations that, well, it was, a lot of it was work-related, but there were also other things. And uh, I, I just about had it this past week, and I, I wondered if God was putting me to the test, knowing what I'm going to talk about this morning. And the straw that finally broke the camel's back came with a call Friday afternoon from Glad. And she wanted just some, some simple advice about a, a, a really a s- insignificant situation. Um, and she just wanted some simple input from me. And, uh, and I don't know, but it was, I had just come out of three meetings where we were trying to solve issues, and they were lengthy meetings, separate, three separate ones. And, and I just, I don't know, something snapped. And in a, in a very brusque and, and terse tones, I said, Glad, I've had it with relationships. I don't care what you do. Just make a decision and do it, and we'll do it. That's, that's, the, that's the way it's going to be. And, and very abruptly sort of hung up. And uh, I say that this morning, first of all, because I need to confess to Glad that that, that wasn't right. My response was, was ungodly. It was not the way of Jesus. And I'm sorry about that. But secondly, I just say it because I want you to know that I need this message just as much as anybody else here this morning. Um, I shared a testimony the last time. And you know that my life is not a flawless life uh, when it comes to relationships. But I will say this, that the power of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ in my life has improved in that area. And I give God the glory. And I want to continue to learn and to grow in that area. Well, Last time we had said that we were looking at 10 guiding principles that uh, we find in this passage of Scripture, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. 10 guiding tips that, that just help us understand how to work relationships. We looked at four of them last time. And the first one that we, that we looked at is that we need to understand that tough relationships are temporal and for my character development. It is so easy for us to look at the other person and say, you know, if you, you know, I just like that saying that I would be a good pastor if it wouldn't be for people. <laughs> it's people that make me a bad pastor, you know. I, I say that tongue in cheek. But it's so easy to look at the other person and say, you're the problem. If you would be different, I would be different. Now, that's not why God brings tough relationships into our lives. He wants us to go inward. 
The second one we looked at is that we need to, if we keep bumping up against relationships that are strained and, and, and broken, then we have to take a look inside our hearts and say, is there bitterness? Is there a grudge? Is there anger that is laying dormant in my heart? Maybe not even in relation to this situation, but are there other residual things that, that is causing me to keep bumping up against relationships and conflict? And we talked about the volcanic an, uh, anger and, and, and the pressure cooker anger and how both of those are equally destructive. And then the third one that we looked at is be the first to take personal uh, steps, responsibility, to clear the offense. You know, almost in every situation that we bump ag- up against in relationships, we are so justified. I find that for myself. I just feel so justified in this situation. I've done nothing. I've, you know, I've cleared myself, da-da-da-da. And, 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 and the other person feels the same way. And so if nobody takes the, rest- the responsibility, if nobody takes the initiative, then it's going to come into a stalemate. And so just take that step. Lay down whatever gift you're bringing before God, whatever that is. Whether it's, whether, yeah, it just says when you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that a brother has something against you. It's not you that has something against the other brother. It's somebody that has something against you. If you are aware of that, you lay down your prayer time, you lay down your devotional time, you lay down your preaching or whatever it is and go work it out. And then the fourth one, take radical steps to remove stumbling blocks to maintain lifelong commitments. And uh, I was humored after that message. Someone came to me and he says, boy, I'm sure glad God gave us ten toes because I at least have six to walk home on. Well, I I didn't mean to inflict that kind of pain, and and I'm glad to let God and the Holy Spirit work that out with you. So we want to go on this morning. We want to look at the other, the remaining six that we have these tips that we want to look at this morning. The ones that we want to look at is found in Matthew 5, verse 33 to 37. It goes like this. Again, you have heard that it was said of, of, uh, to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oath to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. The tip that I want to leave with you when it comes to relationships is be transparent and honest in your relationships. (laughs) The person who needs to vouch for himself, for his honesty, beware of. There should be flags when a person needs to vouch for himself. Sincerity is the synthesis to transparent and honest relationships. It's the glue. Sincerity is the glue, the cohesion that brings two separate lives, two separate unions, and brings them into unity and relationship. Sincerity is, the, is, is, is being as genuine on the inside as what you are on the outside. That's sincerity. It's really interesting where we get where the word sincere is derived from. 
The Latin word, sincerus, actually is made up of two words. The first, the prefix of it, uh, means to, uh, the, the, the sign means without, and the, and the suffix, uh, seer, means wax. And so we put the two together, and it literally means without wax. Now, according to legend, some unscrupulous old world potters uh, made expensive-looking clay pots by using an inferior clay that did not have all of the pebbles sifted out of it. And so they would make these pots, these jars, and after they were baked, some of these pebbles would fall out of the surface of the pot, leaving an indentation. And so they would take wax and they would fill up these indentations on the pot. Well, that was fine, and they would paint over them. That was fine until they put the pot over the fire. And all of a sudden, the wax would run down the side of the pot. Well, there were other potters who had integrity and who made use the best of clay that was out there, and they would, they would make these clay pots and then on the bottom of the pot, they would write sign Sira without wax. Hence, no fake. There's nothing but the genuine clay that is there. And that is the way that we need to be in relationships. No wax. No wax. No mask. Nothing to hide. One of the most famous men in American history, Abraham Lincoln, it is said about him that as the artist was painting his portrait, the artist paused and, sh and said, and asked him, he said, Mr. Lincoln, should I paint your face with, should I paint your cheek with or without the wart? And his quick response was, with the wart. And basically what Abraham Lincoln was saying is that when you get me, you get the wart. That's who I am. Why would I want to paint a portrait of myself of someone I'm not? So as we come to relationships, we must be sincere in our relationships. We must be genuine. We must be honest. Be open. If your character extrudes this trait, there will be little need to vouch for yourself. Your yes will be yes your, yeah, your no will be no. Uh, there will be no reason for you to cross your heart and hope to die because you are who you are. The fear of man brings a snare. You've heard me say that time and time again. It's, and maybe the reason it is because that's been such a big issue in my life. But I'll tell you what, what some, of the, some, of the free, some of the most free experiences that I have in my life when I can lay down the fears, the expectations of what men have of me and live my life before God, knowing that it is not you, it is not the other person that I will answer to at the end of, the, at the end of time, but it is before Christ himself. But I had better be clear, that's just not my own personal and selfish desires, but that it is truly before God that I answer and that I make my decisions. So be transparent and honest. 
the second one that I will, or the, actually the sixth one, second one today that we want to look at is the following verses, verses 38 to 42. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to take you, wants to sue you and take away your tunic, hire the best lawyer in town and fight back. Let's reread that one. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. Relationships will always call you to give more than what you get. Now think that through. The getting reciprocates upon the giving. Um, in other words, what you get out of a relationship is directly contingent upon what you put into it. Now, this holds true for every relationship, whether it is marriage, whether it is parent-child, whether it is employer-employee, whether it is brother-to-brother or sister-to-sister. It is that way straight across. It follows through no matter what. And I can almost hear some of you say, yeah, but you don't know my situation. My situation is different. Some of you have put in endless amounts of energy into a certain relationship with very little in return, or at least very little visible return. And so, hence, you might question the statement that the getting reciprocates upon the giving. But I want to explain something. As we look at these verses that we just read, they very clearly imply that we are dealing with individuals who are out to take advantage of us. See, Jesus, for the most part, was not talking about our best friend or the one with whom we feel most comfortable to be with. The trusted companions. Those people are easy to love. It's not hard to put a lot of energy in those individuals. It's easy to give to that kind of a relationship. Take, for instance, my wife that I would consider her to be probably my closest friend here on the earth. And giving to that relationship is not a chore for me at all. Uh, bar the little tiffs that we have once in a while, uh, for the most part we have a very good and healthy, solid relationship. But I can think of other relationships in my life that I really do need to work at in order to give to that relationship. Some of these individuals I find difficult to love. I find myself praying, God, give me a love that's outside of myself because it's not within me, to, in my own strength, to give to that. And these are the ones that Jesus is referring to. He's talking about the person who is taking advantage of us. If I can just put it in really plain terms, they're just jerks. Uh, I, I, I speak as Paul did. <laughs> I speak as a man when I say that. He's talking about the person that has just slapped us in the face, 
He's talking about the person that has taken us to court who has just issued a lawsuit against us. Yeah, he's talking about the person who did not ask us but compelled us to work to his or her advantage. I'd like to ask the question, what does that look like in 2013? Just in society around us, what does that look like? Well, from the response of some, as the noose continues to tighten around our necks, the response from quite a few, obviously, is to go out and buy weapons of self-defense. Hence, the sales of guns and artillery have skyrocketed. They've reached record highs. Stores are being stripped of bullets and ammo as quickly almost as they're being stocked. And unfortunately, yes, even unfortunately, it has pervaded the church. Oh, not the true church of Jesus Christ, but even members within the true church of Jesus Christ. And I think, what a sad commentary. For those who would call themselves little Christ to put their trust in tasers and guns, which really diametrically opposes just what Jesus taught us. And for the first time in history, for the first time in history, as Jesus taught us these principles, he initiated something that is totally foreign to human logic, and it's called suffering love. Suffering love. You've heard me use that term before, previously. This goes beyond the term non-resistance. You can resist. You can, keep, you can resist from, from striking back. But if you only resist, if that's the only thing that happens, you're missing a key element. And the key element is to give back with suffering love. That means, yes, that means that you might have to take a blow once or twice from the same person, from the same individual. But you're willing to do it. When you choose to respond with suffering love in the face of adversity, you choose the way of Jesus. And this is not a small order. It's not a small order. And in fact, it can only be accomplished through the power of Jesus Christ. That's the only way it can be accomplished. Suffering love will be most difficult to put into practice, particularly not with those who come against us with physical weaponry, but what even makes it harder if it is from individuals who call themselves brothers or sisters and come against us with words and actions that leave a scarring heart. Guns and bullets can only destroy the body, but words and actions have the potential to destroy soul and spirit. And so sometimes it might take a second beating, but suffering love that can only come through Jesus Christ is the answer, not tasers and guns. The, sa the, the, uh, the, the, the seventh uh, tip that we want to look at is uh, verse 43 to 48. You have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. 
But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, and do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet your brother only, what do you more than the others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And the tip that we have here, the seventh one, is overcome evil with good. Very simple instruction or a tip that helps establish good, solid relationships. Loving your enemy is a test of perfection. Our natural inclination is to love our friends and hate our enemies. A human response for our enemies is to desire their destruction and to wish them harm, to separate ourselves, to reject them. That is a human response to our enemies. But I think it's important for us to first understand why are they our enemy? When you, when you realize that there is something like this, and maybe it's just as simple as the fact that you have taken a stand to follow Christ, and really they are not your enemies, but they are the enemy of Jesus Christ, and hence have, have responded in that way. Maybe that's the case. However, it is also quite possible that we have enemies because of something that we have done to offend them. And if that is the case, then we need to go back to tip number three, and we need to make the first step to go recon reconcile ourselves to them. After all, that's what Jesus did with us. He took the initiative to seek us out, not us him. And we need to do the same in our relationships. Jesus gives us four very simple instructions on how to come evil with good. In this verse, verse 44, But I said to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. So the four ways that we respond is to love, is to bless. By the word, that word bless, I was just looking at that in the, in the, uh, in the uh, Sunday school this morning. Even the women who blessed, Naomi, and, you know, it's easy to bless those who we love and those that we come uh, along, you know, get along with good. It's easy to bless those. But it is something different to speak well of someone who is against us or who is our enemy. And this is the case that Jesus is making right here. When there is a broken relationship, the word bless, our English word bless, uh, means to speak well of another person. It is actually, the, 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 the word in, 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 in Matthew, in the Greek, we, is, is actually where we derive the word eulogy, to speak well of. Now, when, we, when someone dies, it's not unusual for someone to give a eulogy of the person, of the deceased person. We speak well of that person. But Jesus wants us to do the same thing to the person where there's a broken relationship, to bless them, to do good to them, and to pray for them. Four simple responses, key responses in a broken relationship. Let's go on. Chapter 6, verse 9 through 15. 
In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. The tip, number eight, is be slow to blame and quick to forgive. I started my last message listing the 10 top what of 2012. Do you remember? The top 10 most ridiculous lawsuits in 2012. And we concluded that message saying that there was a common theme that ran through that tied all these lawsuits together. And what was it? What was the theme that ties them all together? Shifting blame, right? This is what we end up with when we shift blame, when we do not take responsibility for our own actions. And we, and we end up with this bizarre kind of lawsuit going on around us. And we say, why? It's because people are not taking responsibility for themselves. This world has witnessed some of the most excruciating, painful actions that are imaginable to men. Hurtful words follow a close second. And, and, and you may be one of those who have experienced an atrocity that, that you find hard to forgive. But there's a couple things that I want to say about forgiveness. And I share this, first of all, out of personal experience. But the thing that we, that, the thing that we have to understand about forgiveness is, first of all, it is an act of obedience. If you wait on your feelings to catch up, you probably will never forgive. If you wait till you feel like forgiving, it will probably never happen because you've created a prison of your own making. When you choose to forgive, even though your feelings are not there, you do it out of a simple faith and obedience to Jesus Christ. You choose to forgive. It unlocks something in your heart that allows your feelings to begin catching up with your action. That's huge. The second thing that we need to understand about forgiveness is that it is a process. If you've been taught to forgive and to forget, then I'd like to say you've been taught wrong. Now, your teacher may have had the best of intention when he told you that. But you see, it's actually unbiblical. Our minds are wired in such a way that we call to remembrance. In fact, Jesus and God throughout Scripture, time and again, calls us to remembrance. He did certain actions with the children of Israel and certain individuals to call people to remembrance. Even today in our, in our congregation here, we follow through with certain, uh, certain um, functions and certain um, officiate at, at certain functions to help 
call to remembrance the things that have happened in the past. And the things that happen in our lives, whether they are good or whether they are evil or bad, are stamped upon our minds. Choosing to forgive does not wipe away that memory, necessarily. But I do want to say this, that when we choose to forgive, even though the memory is still there, even though the memory may linger, it may cause us to need to repeat the process repeatedly. In other words, you must make a choice to forgive as long as the pain keeps surfacing in your heart. Now, for some, that might be a one-time deal. And, and, and for whatever reason, it may, God may just wipe that away, that pain. For others, it may be days. For some, it might be weeks. For some, it might be years that you have to keep bringing this situation before the Lord. You know, I can testify. Probably one of the most hurtful experiences that I've, that I've gone through in my life. I was waiting for my feelings to catch up with my action. And finally, God dealt with me on that level. And he said, James, you go do what you need to do to, to, to forgive. And out of obedience, my, and I kept arguing with God. I said, I will. Just let me feel like I want to do. I don't want to be a hypocrite. And, and he said, no, go. Go and seek forgiveness. And when I acted upon that obedience, that obedient act, uh, I, I, something happened that I, the only way I can explain is the power of Jesus Christ bringing healing. It unlocked something in my heart. I was free. And I released the other person's and, and, and because of that then, God could begin to let my feelings r- catch up with what I did. Now, it was a process. It didn't happen overnight. And even today, depending on the situation and what is said and what is done and the persons involved, it can trigger something in me. But you know what? It's not nearly as painful, not even close as painful as it was back then. And I can easily take that back to the cross and say, Father, I choose to lay that down. I choose to forgive and walk in obedience with you. And so that's what we need to understand about obedience. There's another one that we find in in chapter 7, verse 1 through 5. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged And with what measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see more clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. The tip that I want to leave with you is always remember that I've got the log The other person has the speck. Human logic thinks that I have the speck. The other person has the log. 
Nearly all my life, I've worked with wood. Right out of high school, I went into this construction crew, and I did that for nearly 13 years. Even when we moved up north, I did a lot of construction work with the native people around the, 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 uh, the facilities there where I was at. Plus the fact that we cut about 40 cords of wood every year to, to uh, use at the facilities there. Uh, anyone that knows how much a cord is realizes how much wood that is. And so, I, and now today, uh, I work around, you know, even in the shop, when I go back in the shop, there's dust and wood dust and wood chips and, and that kind of thing that, that we contend with. All this to say that there's, there's very little that is more painful and more annoying than to have a wood chip in your eye. Most everything comes to a standstill until that's taken care of. And sometimes we need help to remove the offending member. But you know, what occurred to me one day as I was trying to pick out yet another piece of sawdust for my eye, uh, the idea came to me that for me to go to another person to pick out a chip of wood out of his eye, as it were, when I have one in my own eye is almost ludicrous. It's pretty silly. Yet, that is often how we play it out in life. We are quick to try to correct the other person who has an offending chip in his eye and are completely oblivious that we carry one in our own eye. Now, think of it this way. If I put a piece of chip, a wood chip on the end of my finger and I hold it away from my eyes, 30 inches. It looks fairly small, but if I take that same chip and put it right in the center of my lens, all of a sudden it's magnified many times over. The thing that has helped me understand relationships and when I think about the other person, what's the big deal? What's the big whoopee? Why, why are you, so, you know, listen, the chip is in his eye. It's magnified. And I have to put myself in his or her shoes. I have to see through their lens. The chip is right up in their eye. That's all they're saying. It's magnified. And so it has helped me to understand that I need to remove my own issues from my life in order to be able to at all even begin helping the other person. I've got the log, you've got the speck. If we would just live by that principle alone, then I can, I, I, I'm sure, I'm convinced that our levels of relationship would improve immensely. There's one more relational tip that I want to talk about. And it's found in verses 15 through 20 of chapter 7 where it says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are raven ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruit. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. The tip that I want to leave with you is when all attempts fail, discern the condition of the fruit. Now, I give this last point 
somewhat hesitantly. And yet I believe it's something that we need to talk about. I say hesitantly because I'm concerned that someone may walk away from this message uh, that is feeling justified about a broken relationship who has not exhausted all of the options. But I guess I'm going to leave that between you and God. I have lived long enough to understand that there may be times when for whatever reason a relationship may not be restored to its former state. As tragic as it is, there are times when it seems that all options have been exhausted and the relationship is not reinstated to the degree that we would like to see it be, in, be reinstated or restored. When that happens, and this happens after many attempts and following through with all the other nine tips, and also deep introspection of our own hearts. Of course, that's included in one of those tips. But I do understand that just as it takes two to fight, it also takes two to restore. Paul seemed to understand this principle when he gave us a bit of insight in the book of Romans when he said, if it is possible... As much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. I take that verse to mean that there's a teensy-weensy <laughs> bit of room that we may bump into relationships that may not be as peaceable as what we would desire them to be. When you find yourself in this situation, I think there's some key things that we need to understand. First of all, I think we need to be very sure that it is not at that point because of something that I'm withholding. I'm not sure that I can explain all the push and pull that happens in these kinds of relationships that take place but I need to make certain that I have carried whatever part of responsibility I have played into the situation. I think if we find ourselves in this situation, I think we need to discern the fruit. And yes, that's biblical. And no, it's not judgmental uh, or unrighteous judgment. I think there are times that fruit is contaminated, contaminated with four foreign fungus, as it were, uh, bitterness, envy, pride, jealousy. I don't know what all it could be. But maybe there are some things in, in, in the relationship that is causing the person to stay bondage and hostage in the relationship. And the relationship may come to a stalemate in some sorts. If at that point you walk away from the relationship, Wiping your hands and with a smirk on your face, I could say that you've probably not exhausted the, 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 the uh, options. I think a godly person in this situation will walk away from the situation with a heavy heart and a broken heart for the condition of the fruit and the relationship. I think he will lament the loss 
and continue to search his own heart to see if there's anything he or she could have done differently to avoid this relationship being where it's at. And the second thing that they will do is I think they will make sure to try to learn from their mistakes and attempt to course correct so that future relationships will not end up in this way. And so a lot of responsibility comes back to us. If the other person does not want to reconcile, it does take two to reconcile. But if the other person refuses to reconcile for whatever reason, I think there's a lot of responsibility that still comes back to ourselves. And so I felt like we needed to talk about that as well. Well, as we look at these tips and the relationships that God has brought into our lives, it can only be experienced because of the power of the resurrection in our lives. And uh, that's what gives us hope. I want to conclude with the verse that Jesus prayed for everyone. He said, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, through the believers, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, and that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Let's pray. And then Keith, I'll let you.